Well, good morning, Terranova. Uh, happy New Year. We're into that phase of another calendar year. Uh, I hope you all had a, a really good holiday season, a little bit of a break. And for those who were at the Christmas Eve service, I, I thought it was one of our best. It was a high watermark for me for the year. When we talk about New Year's, what we're really talking about is time. That at some point in this flow of events, one day after another, just passing by, it's important that we stop and take a moment to reflect. What, what has the time before meant? What am I going to do with this moment as I face a future that is yet defined and live through that? I'm not necessarily a big fan of doing it on January 1st. I just feel like the made-up holiday named after the month of a Roman god doesn't do it for me. But the idea of it is really biblically based. If you went back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1.14, when there are no humans yet, there is no fall yet, everything is, is a gospel of complete satisfaction where God has of himself created everything and keeps pronouncing this is good because he does no other thing. In Genesis 1.14 it says this, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And even in the psalm that we'll read today, Psalm 90, if you want to turn there in your Bible or find it on your app or on your guide page as a QR code for an ESV Bible app, uh, the, the psalmist will say, Moses will say, teach us to number our days. There's something biblical, good, and right about saying in the midst of what can just be a blur like a long car ride of days if we don't stop, to say, I, I need to consider these things. And yet, as we face a year again, we can take the lesson of 2020, that we probably should have learned every year if we had, and we certainly learned it in 2020, that no matter what we plan, predict, or think will happen, life may go differently than we considered it. 2020 certainly wasn't begun on 2019, December 31st, with a lot of people saying, you know what I really want? I want a global pandemic that will kill hundreds of thousands of people. I really wish I'd be locked down and the economy would suffer greatly. No one wished that. If you did, we need to talk. You are, something bad really happened to you if those were your New Year's wishes. But we learned things happen beyond our individual control. And as we head into this new year, what I want to ask you to think about as we spend our time in the Word are three things. A look to the eternal and to see God above time, beyond time, over 2020 even, and into 2021. That we'll see him as the anchor that holds us, no, no matter what the circumstances come with in 2021. And, and then a look at our own lives relative to who God is that we can find satisfaction not just in what we are, what we can acquire, what we can plan, what we can accomplish, but in something different, a pilgrim path, where we say, I, I'm devoting my life to following after him, regardless of what happens tangentially to that. And then lastly, to look very specifically at a word that can cause fear in so many, but is so necessary, hope. And that we can engage in the beginning of 2021 with a real hope, that actually saves us from hopelessness and joylessness. If you turn to Psalm 90, and while you're going there, just a couple things to set up. Uh, the, the Psalms, some people know, some people aren't aware that they're actually broken into five books of Psalms. Those 150 Psalms are divided into five books. And Jewish commentators have long said, we, we see this as like the Torah, that the first book is kind of like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as you go through the five. So we're going to look at Psalm 90, which is the first Psalm 
in the fourth book of Psalms, so it corresponds to that period of Numbers, and it's the oldest psalm. It's written by Moses. It's not a Davidic psalm or from that period. This, this was carried by Israel and brought into all those Davidic psalms as, as the psalm book was being put together. So I'm going to read Psalm 90, if you're there, and I'll just start from verse 1, and after that we'll pray. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we begin at a point where we mark a calendar anew, Lord, and we stare down empty pages and we have plans and we have desires, but we have no idea what will happen. We confess that you have declared, Lord, that you know the end from the beginning. Lord, help us to find a peace in following after, relying on, and yielding to you in this year ahead. Lord, help us not to regret the days. Help us not to want to repent and to weep at next new year, Lord. Oh Lord, but give us a fresh life and vitality to live with you this year. We ask this in Christ's name and for his greater glory. Amen. So recently I had the chance to uh, play around with some VR goggles. I say play because for me technology always takes one or two roads, right? It's either a tool or a toy. This one's a toy, but it's a really cool toy. So it may become a tool at some point for us, but I just really enjoyed playing with it for a little while and having that 3D environment that actually immersively tricks your brain. Uh, When I had Diane use it, she took it off and just started laughing, realizing that that whole world that she was able to touch was gone. So um, I decided to do something in VR in one of those immersive experiments where they have that VR 360 camera, so no matter where you're looking, you feel like it's actually your perspective. I hate roller coasters with all my heart, so I thought, I'm going to try a VR roller coaster because I'm just that way with myself some days. And I got on the thing, and we're just chugging up the hill, and it's going along great. I'm looking around. It looks very real. And then we hit the top of the thing, and we're going down, and we're moving. 
and I start to feel it. Like I, I can feel cold sweat start to happen in my stomach. I think, what happens if you throw up in a virtual roller coaster? Oh, that's your living room. You throw up in your living room. So let's not do that. And this little dot comes up, a red dot that says, if you feel sick, look at this red dot. So me and the dot were friends for the rest of that roller coaster ride, and I got through it. But you know what? I realized when I take those off and just live a daily life, sometimes life feels like the VR roller coaster, doesn't it? There's so much anxiety, so much confusion. It comes so fast. We don't know what's coming next, and we start to feel a little sweaty and a little sick from the whole experience of it. And sometimes we can wish there was a red dot that just said, hey, if your life is overwhelming you right now, focus on the red dot. You're going to be okay. Let me suggest that's where Moses points us to a perspective that God is that for us. That in spite of all the things that are going too fast for us to keep up with, but all the things that are unexpected for us, God is there. He, he anchors us. He gives us a stability that allows us to get through these changes. I know I just read Psalm 90, but I, I want you to hear verses 1 and 2 from Moses again. He says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He transcends all of our moments. The ones in our past that we experience but may not be able to really recall clearly or have a limited perspective on, he transcends it and sees it all. The, the moments that we're facing that we don't know what's coming, he knows the end from the beginning. And to be really honest, he's the only one who can. We, we see through through such a limited view of the story, right? It's subjectively limited just to our life and our perspective. But God has seen every generation. R realize, he's the only one who can tell us with certainty that this is where we are and how we got here. None of us really remember it. We'll, we'll hear the stories of a generation or read a slanted history book and think we know something. But the only one who's seen it all and where it's come from and where it's going is God. We're hopelessly trapped in the subjective. Your set of emotions, your experience, your perspective has determined how you see things. And the truth is, it's not always correct. I'm sure you've been in that position before where you, you thought you saw things one way and then you found out, oh, I was wrong. It wasn't like that. So you can call it philosophy. I tend to call it theology. But here's something I want to say that I would defend to the day I die. Objective truth and objective reality is only sourced in God. The only one who knows it. He's the only one who sees it and lives it even before the world that we know circumstantially was created. That takes us to a, a truth that's really important for us to hear. That means definitively it's not about you. It's just not about us. And I think so much of the anxiety in our world is this virtual reality that we've created where we tell ourselves, it's really all about me. My point of view, my subjective experiences is really what is the most important thing in this world. My desires are the most important things. My success is what my success in life and the whole world should be measured on is just me. But the Bible presents only God at times in the story. So he's the only one who can know. If you opened your Bible on the left, you'd see in the beginning was God and nobody else. And if you get to the end... John is presenting in Revelation Jesus the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and his final prayer breathed out of the whole Bible is even now, in my moment in time, in that year, in the first century, come Lord Jesus. He's the red dot. God is the objective truth. He's the one that can stabilize you if you're in a position in your life where you're feeling overwhelmed and a little nauseated by this experience called 
real life. He's the one who will help us with what we most need. Augmented reality is something you're going to hear about more and more in the years ahead of your life in this world. But you know what? I'm convinced we need just the opposite. We don't need things to be an augmented reality. We need a more real reality. We need to really experience who God is, really see who we are in this. So if God's the center of that reality, then let me suggest that you, as you're trying to figure out, what do I do? I get that God is the one before all things. How do I live this out? Your pilgrim path will become not so much about your experiences and being a world tourist, not about your success and being a champion, not about your possessions and being wealthy, but following a pilgrim path where where you are able to say, I, I need to just follow after him regardless of what things happen. It's not going to be the VR goggles of pretending. My virtual reality has meaning if I get enough stuff. My virtual reality has meaning if enough people applaud for me and say my name. Because when you look at the comparison between God as Moses presents him, before the mountains were formed and you created them all, you were there, and man, you are but dust. It's enormous. Because all the lies that we tell ourselves of what really matters in life are undone by this world so quickly. All the possessions we once owned, all the pride we once had, all goes. It is the incessant, endless sermon of junkyards and graveyards that it wasn't about that. Those things came to an end. The stuff we prized, the people we tried to, it all ended, and God still there. So if God is the true reality, then your path and my path is only lived wisely and rightly if we say, I'm following after him. Regardless of the stuff that happens in between, I'm just trying to travel to get closer to him. That's what the pilgrim life is all about. And pilgrims travel together. So in the 80s, people were really into political buttons. And I thought a lot of them were stupid because they made people feel really satisfied that I did something in this world because I put it on a button. So I decided, though, I'll play and I'll get a button and be obnoxious like I could be in the 80s and, and now. And so the button I wore all the time was Hermits Unite. I decided that was my political statement, that Hermits Unite. But that's really the difference between hermits and pilgrims. Hermits are just on their life path by themselves. Pilgrims find I'm with other people. If you're following after God, if you choose the pilgrim path of looking to him and just going after him, you will find you're not a hermit. God is calling people from all over different directions. And as we go to one fixed objective point, we start to look left and right and see, oh, I'm with the people of God. I'm on a pilgrimage with people, not in a hermitage by myself. In traveling after God, we can see, though, what separates us pretty quickly. Moses was very clear about it. He said it's our sin. That it's exposed, all the stuff we thought was hidden, God illumines, and it's exposed. If this book of Psalms, this fourth one, corresponds to Numbers, it's no surprise then that there's a lot in there about sin and the distance from God as we travel through life, because that's what Israel had to deal with. Let me suggest, suggest this in your pilgrim journey, that recognition of your sin, the reality of it, taking off all the blinders and goggles and saying, this is where I sin, how I sin, when I sin, what I am in some place of me is sinful. That, that brokenness in your world, it will keep you humble. You will rely more on God. You won't have a problem with saying, God, I need you. Unhumble people, man, I, I had trouble expressing how I really felt about dealing with unhumble people, including me. 
Um, I, I said to my wife, can, can I say PIA in a sermon? She's like, no, you, you know a nicer way to say that. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't. This is what I feel about when we're on Humble. We are just insufferable people who find that we think the story is all about ourselves, and as a result, we become very judgmental. If I don't like something in this world, if I don't like someone in this world, if I don't like their plans, I just point and pick it apart. Or we become people who complain endlessly. Well, this isn't right, this isn't fair, I don't like this. Or we become people who just act entitled. I want this in my life, to the point maybe of even saying, I deserve to have a little of sin time that I do just for me. But the reality is our sin isn't defined by us. It's defined by God. Literally, the person of God. He is defined as holiness. God is holy. Everything he thinks, has ever thought, designed, does, will do, is not sin. It is holy. Therefore, sin is everything outside the bounds of him. That's how it's defined. When we think not like him, when we act not in his ways, that's when we sin. That, that's why King David, after having planned and executed the murder of Uriah the Hittite and then had an affair, can say plaintively to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Sin had victims for sure, but, but the one who was violated because of the definition of sin, David says rightly, against you have I sinned, your holiness. And so when I sin, I sin against you. The humility that comes along with being a sinner will keep you from having a path that is not a pilgrim path, if you can hear that. You won't be saying, I'll just trust myself and do my own thing. You'll start to try to square yourself in your life with what the Word of God says. And you'll recognize there are points in my life every day where I don't square up, but it keeps me humble. I want the purposes that God has for me. I want the pathways that he has. I want his person to be part of my life. Otherwise, we end up playing the all-too-familiar game humanity plays. I make up my truth, you make up yours, and we argue whose fake truth looks better and should be followed today. Those paths and those plans that God lays out for us, he expects us to follow, and we find we stumble haltingly. But it means that we keep walking in that way. Sin keeps us humble before God and man. Micah 6.8 says this, and you're probably familiar with it. He's told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. There's an action, there, there's something in the outward world that we have to do. We have to do what's right according to God's standards. There's an internal reality. We have to love mercy. We can't just be people who are judgmental of others because we need mercy. We're, we're desperately starving for mercy because of all our wrong, so we need to love mercy for us and for others. But the whole conduct of it, the, the greater container that it's in, when you're doing justice, when you're loving mercy, you have to walk humbly with your God. He's talking about that pilgrim path. Your life is meant to be a life walked with God. You. Even with all of our sins. Psalm 90 verse 8 said this, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. The things we hide the pieces of our lives that we know this is so grotesquely selfish or just flatly grotesque. They've never been hidden before God. We, we might be able to pull it off with each other where we have places we can go to, to to keep our sinful life set aside or we just keep it in our mind where no one else can see our sin going on and we can live this 
this fake resume life of we're really good people in our narrative because everyone wants to be the hero of their story. But in reality, it's never hidden from God. The things that we shy away from, we don't want people to know, God illumines constantly. It says, in the light of your presence, when holiness is near us, our sinfulness shows up. The closer you get to God, the more you will probably see your sin. I would say if you think you're getting closer and closer to God, but you don't see your sin, you may be mistaken in how that pilgrim walk is going. It's like thinking you're, you're fairly well-dressed and clean, and you're in the dark, and then you get under a little bit of light, and you say, oh, I'm, I'm a little shabby here. My hands are a little dirty. And you get in bright light, and I'm like, oh my gosh, these things are filthy. I need to change this. That's what it's like. But we get used to sin. We tell ourselves, I've done this so many times and there wasn't a consequence that I could see, so I've just accepted this as part of my life. Or we justify it. If people knew what I went through, they'd understand why I should be exempt and allowed to commit these sins. Or we reframe it. It's not a sin, it's just my truth. Hmm. And we harden our hearts, as Israel did in the book of Numbers, so many times if we're not humble about our sin like Moses has called on God to help us to be. And then we pass. Even if we make up our own truths, we're just but dusts. And I'll argue that mortality, as much as sin, helps us to stay humble in this pilgrim walk. That I'm temporary. The world isn't about me. As Mark Twain said famously, they'll mourn us for a day and then forget us for a lifetime. The people who live after you will know for sure it really wasn't about that guy or that gal. When they passed, we moved on. But I'm afraid we treat death too much like the toilet, a place we all have to go and no one wants to talk about or see very often. But I think there's something good to help ourselves realize the most natural truth. You and I are here for a limited time. That clock began to tick the moment we were born, and now we have to face at some point that it ends. So how do we live in this limited time? The pilgrim path means walking humbly with God, but the reality is we start to like to walk after other things. It's the idolatry. We, we, we find that we want to believe our life is given meaning by something else. So I'll ask you, what are the three biggest obstructions to your pilgrim path? What, what blocks you from saying, Yes, I will follow after Jesus and the circumstance of the circumstances. Is, 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 it, is it fame for you? Is it how other people think about you even if fame is very localized? Is it power? I, just, I want to have influence. I want to be able to do things. And, and my importance and my legacy is the most important thing in this life. Or possessions, the, the stuff that I someday can own. They're just distractions. They're just idols. They'll, they'll shatter into a thousand pieces under the weight of the human soul. Because they're not meant to carry them. When you take off those VR goggles and the idols disappear, though, I, I think following the pilgrim path means three words that happen in consecutive order. Know, love, and serve. As you know your God, as you start to investigate him and experience him, you cannot help but to love him. If you see Jesus as he is and yourself as you are, I am a sinful person and he still has set his love upon me and he's glorious and forever, you will not just know him, then you will love him. And if you know and love him, you cannot help but serve him because nothing else seems to have any gravity or glory to it except him. It brings a joy to us. Here's what Moses said in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. When we try to make up the thing that will satisfy us, it doesn't. 
it feels empty. It's the Bowie line, every time I thought I had it made, I found the taste was not so sweet. We create our own goalpost and we think we score and there's, there's no joy, no glory. But when we know and walk in his steadfast love, the Bible tells us we'll not just be satisfied, but rejoice and be glad all our days. That's all circumstances. That's 2020 and 2021. Because let's be honest, we, we really beat the heck out of 2020. We blame 2020 for everything we did and everything that happened to us and someone else did. We've just stomped that year like it was a curb stomping unmet before. 2021 may disappoint us as well. I'm not a prophet of the son of prophet, but here's my prediction. You're going to have problems and trouble in 2021. And it's not going to satisfy you fully unless your heart is daily set on the satisfying love that Jesus has for you. And that's where it gets hard sometimes to believe. Because our final point is that word hope. We've been burned so many times, disappointed so many times by the idols we created, the false realities and fake end zones that we created, that we just find hopes hard to have some days. Because everyone we hoped was going to be something different and beyond didn't. They turned out to be broken like us. Everything we thought we'd own that we'd hope would be great didn't turn out to be that great. I got watching a show during 2020 because what did we do? We all binged a whole lot of things that a friend had said, oh, this is really good. It's, it's all totally above board called Ted Lasso on Apple TV. But um, turns out my warning to you is it's a good show, but there is some stuff that will probably make you blush or uncomfortable that my friend didn't tell me about. No, no nudity or violence, but just some things that are said. So the story is this American football coach who gets hired by a premier British soccer team to coach a sport that he knows nothing about and hilarity ensues. But within that, there comes to sort of the, the, this big game of a team that they, they've not beaten for 60 years and everyone is just resigned that they're gonna lose to this team, including the players. And it's just frustrating, this coach who's, he's super coachy-coachy, great with all the coach lines, but he's also a tremendous optimist. Like his big motto is believe, and he's always hitting this sign that says believe on it. And the English people tell him in the pub one day, well, don't you know it's the hope that kills you? and it just rubs him the wrong way. But it does reveal something about us. We're a hurt people who've been disappointed so many times that we can believe and say things in the human community like hope kills you. My friends, you have to throw that away if you're gonna walk a pilgrim path. I know there've been disappointments on every level of your life and mine, but I'm gonna give you one that was never disappointed. The one who did justice, loved mercy, and walked humbly before the Father and with us, Jesus. You might say, oh, I can never overcome my own failures and I've lived a joyless life in a purgatory of joylessness because I've not known his love. Jesus, he has done it. Hope doesn't disappoint in Jesus. Again and again, the New Testament will say, it's the blessed hope that we have. This hope now saves you. If you have not exercised hope because it's been disappointing at times, you were doing it wrong. And you just need to put your hope more and more in Jesus and trust in him. We just celebrated Christmas, the miracle of the incarnation. The distance between God and man being utterly closed by God taking flesh. And that means more than just a miracle of flesh. It means approachability. It means when we thought God didn't know us and was so far away and we might never know what he wanted for us, we now heard the voice of the prophet speaking and still read the red letters to this day. It meant that when we heard what he said and realized, oops, I'm on the wrong side of that, that he was still with us and we could go and speak our confessions to the priest who is still with us to this day. A priest who, the Bible says, 
is in all ways, has been tempted like us, but yet without sin. So it would probably be another disappointing moment if we all went around the room and shared, what's the grossest sins you've ever committed or wanted to commit? We would all be horrified by each other and just under a weight of despair if we heard it. But don't be shy to tell Jesus. We might hide those things from each other at times. But never feel like you can't tell this priest because he was tempted in every way, including the weird sin that you have in your life. Jesus was tempted in every way like you, but without sin. And when we walk this year hearing from that prophet, we'll be directed right. When we walk this year forgiven by that priest out of his love, you will find that endless joy that hits you every day. And then you will look upon that one who rose and will return and realize, but I have a king too, not just a prophet and priest, but I have the one who I can worship like my life and work depends on it because it does. We have one who has overcome, one who's given us hope, and you can walk with him in 2021. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the hope that saves us, for, for our Jesus, who looked not just upon our sins to judge us, but came to give himself for us as a ransom for many, who speaks to us words that are the bread of life and the water of life that we might have the life of Christ in us, who embraces us, who are unholy and leprous so that we can be changed and made new. Lord, where hope is deflated in this room, I pray that you would blow it up beyond proportion, that you would help us to practice deeply and daily a hope in Jesus, in whose name we now pray. Amen.